are listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency, the PuttCast. Putt is a not-for-profit industry watchdog organization dedicated to exposing the truth about the shady, abusive practices of pharmacy benefit managers and how they affect American patients, healthcare providers, and taxpayers. On the PuttCast, we'll talk to pharmacy industry experts, influencers, and patients, always with the goal of bringing the truth, transparency, and solutions to America's prescription drug affordability crisis. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the PuttCast. This is Monique Whitney. I am and the executive director of PUT and also the host of this podcast. Thanks for joining us today. And with me is my co-host, PUT President Scott Newman. Scott, how are you today? Great. How about you? Doing good. Doing good. So you are doing this podcast on the road today, right? Yeah. So I'll chime in when uh, I'll chime in when I when I'm able to. Well, we're really grateful you can join us today. Uh, you and I are are big fans of our guest and the association that he is with. And I believe you were the person who initially made contact with him back a year or two ago. Is that not right? Yeah, I actually, you might have reached out to me, or I think it was uh, one of our co-colleagues that may have may have put us together. It was just kind of ironic that we were already talking with Dr. Diaz uh, down in Florida, come to find out that Ricky was right down the street from me. Yes, yes, I remember that. It was a pretty exciting day. And so I think with that, we can introduce our guest, uh, Mr. Ricky Newton, who is with the Community Oncology Alliance. You are their CFO, is that right? Yes, the CFO and COO. Ah, oh my gosh, it's a big, big job there. <laughs> yep, it's a, it's a big organization and I'm really blessed to be with it. But I will have to say, with Scott and I, it was kind of interesting uh, because uh, of the work that we were doing around uh, working with Troy with CPSN, looking at a clinically integrated network. Then I found out there was a lot of independent pharmacists that do a lot of what COA does. And it's not all talk, it's all about action. And when I heard that you all did a lot around you know, being upset about things that were happening that impacted your pharmacies the same way that uh, you know, we get upset within COA about things that impact patient care within our clinics. Uh, I heard about Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency. I had been getting emails from other oncology pharmacists that were sending them to me and I would read them. I'm like, wow, this organization is awesome. So uh, Dr. Diaz, who was the past president of COA and I went to one of your meetings a couple of years ago and that it was just such a fabulous meeting, getting to meet all of the representatives from the different states and uh, uh, other uh, speakers that you had. And we thought, boy, this is this is a mini COA. It's COA within the independent pharmacist. This is such an awesome thing because they're 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 tired of the talk. They want to get out there and actually do something. And and Dr. Diaz and I were so impressed. And in that meeting, I met Scott. And it was so funny because I'm like the president of Putt and he like is down the street from the oncology clinic that I have been a part of since 1997. So it was just amazing and a great yeah, that was pretty cool. up from that. So, so really, really am grateful about that. Yeah. You know, what I love I've even had the pleasure of walking in your office. Yeah. Yes, you have. 
yeah, we've had some lunches and I'm, I'm really grateful. I mean, the organizations are great. And, you know, I mean, I just to back up one second, because I just wanted to make that clear. I thought that was so neat. And, and I've always been impressed with you, Monique, and your leadership and the and the group down in Florida, the work that we've been able to do, uh, Dr. Diaz, and in that state. I mean, that's just one little spot where there's action going on, but this is happening all over the place. Uh, so the partnership that we have is great. But I mean, this started back at the end of 2002. I was one of the founders of COA, signing the original paperwork. I'm a CPA. I'm not a pharmacist. Um, yet I'm very tied into pharmacy because of running the, our oncology clinic for years, the, the one that I have been an administrator, that I became an administrator of it back in 1997. And we were one of the first clinics to open up an oral pharmacy. And I hired a, a pharmacy tech and I had to learn everything from scratch. But prior to that, we realized with changes with CMS, with what we used to get paid, AWP, which is completely separate from the oral drugs. Um, then we went from 100% of AWP to 95% of AWP. Commercial plans were adjusting all over the place. Then there was adjustment down to 85, and then CMS changed back in you know, 2003. There started to be discussions about changing all the reimbursement, and, and they did. They ended up going to an ASP, average sales price model. And through all of that, a bunch of administrators got together, probably the same way a lot of pharmacists got together, and you realized, hey, we need to do something. We need to, we need to have all of us complain but a lot of us want to do action. So we need to somehow formalize that and bring us all together to start creating some kind of entity that can represent all of us as independent community oncology pharmacies to protect ourselves. This is not going to be good for patient care and for community oncology. And that started way back in the early 2000s. I was a part of it then, was sitting on the board. And then Back in 2014, I actually came on board with COA full time. was uh, was acting as the treasurer previously, and uh, you know basically we were all volunteer organization, and then we hired a bunch of people and and really to focus around a lot of issues, not just the IV pharmacy that you know manages all the care that we've always done at treating patients with every IV drug you know for oncology in our clinics, but also the oral pharmacies, which have grown tremendously uh, in our clinics because patients want, including myself, when I go to buy primary care and they say, hey, if we can fill your drug here, do you want it filled? And I say, yes, you know, because of convenience, I can get it right away. And it's the same thing with the oncology drugs within our clinic. And in 2016, out of a need because of what was happening with PBMs, starting to encroach and infringe and say, basically, you can't dispense drugs in your clinic, you have to send it out, you know, to their own, the PBM owned pharmacies and others, we created the Community Oncology Pharmacy Association, just like you all have Pharmacists United for Truth and Transparency, we created uh, COPA in order to represent all these community oncology pharmacies within independent community clinics you know, for the purposes of protecting the patient's right to get their drugs wherever they want to get their drugs, not to be forced to get it where they don't want to, but we have the ability to get their specialty drugs right away 
and not have to have them wait to be able to get their financial support and anything that they need in, so that their care is uh, not delayed. And it was CVS back then that totally shocked us, came out of nowhere with their program of they, the two things happened, DIR fees, where they said, we're going to wrap DIR fees and develop quality metrics that have nothing to do with oncology nothing to do with treating patients in oncology. We're going to hit you with DIR fees and not give you any kind of mechanism to you do well in an area that we're being graded on statins and, and other areas that have nothing to do with treating oncology patients. We're going to penalize you and there's no way to receive any kind of positive adjustment, but you're going to get hit with something, you know, three and a half to five and a half percent DIR fees on you know, five, six, seven, eight thousand dollar drugs. I mean, it was crazy. And then at the very same time, they said, we're going to not allow physician dispensing pharmacies to dispense drugs. And we were like, this is so wrong. You want to sh not, totally not allow us to have the ability to do it. Totally say, we don't care about any willing provider laws that the federal government says every patient has a right to get their treatment and care where they want to get it, including where they get their drugs. And 35 states have any willing provider laws, including in Virginia, where I'm located, that say a patient has the right to get their drugs where they want to get it. And so uh, at the time, we that was like our first project that we all got together on within COPA. And we fought that because it wasn't right. It violated the law and it violated the rights of the patient to get the drugs where they wanted to. And they wanted it from us. They didn't want to go get go elsewhere. And that's where COPA was born, which led to many things along the way, one battle after another, as you all know, in the PBM arena, including the with DIR fees, copay accumulators and maximizers and all these things happening. We have been bombarded with it. And that has just created a great partnership, not just with PUT and the independent pharmacies, the urologist. And the rheumatologist, rheumatology doesn't dispense as many drugs, but they had the same issue, very expensive drugs, just like the urologist having the same issues with having, you know, you would think, well, how many patients come into your clinic that you get to dispense? You would, you would hope that, to be able to say, oh, 90, 95% at a minimum, but instead many clinics dispense 45 to 60% of the oral drugs to their patients, all the rest of them PBMs push out of the clinics. And that has been a huge area that we have fought on. And, and as you know, we, we turn around and one PBM decides to try something new and then we have to fight it. But the bottom line is we wanna do what's right for the patient and we wanna do what's right. That means keeping independent pharmacies urology, independent urology clinics, independent rheumatology, independent oncology clinics and pharmacies open so that patients don't go to the, you know, the, the uh, five PBMs that control over 80% of the market and own specialty pharmacies and insurance companies and, and push it all, you know, into their own pockets, uh, you know, thinking that they're providing better care, which is, completely frustrating to us because what is marketed out there to patients and insurers and employers 
is such a false message of patients getting the best care through that PBM forcing patients to go elsewhere, which is easily documented through uh, several, we have five volumes and are working on our sixth volume of patient horror stories that completely relate to patient. Every time a patient is forced to go somewhere else to get their drug, that patient has adherence issues because of delays and waste because they'll get 90 days of a drug and yet we will give 15 days because of dose differences uh, when the patient first starts out on it, and we find out that the patient might not be able to handle a certain dose and we have to change the dose. And they will come to us and, and, and give us, they will say, we have this bag of drugs and it might be $90,000 worth of drug that go to waste because we switched the drug because of toxicities, however the patient is dealing with. Or the, the patient will say, yeah, we haven't, we still aren't on our drug. And we're like, why don't you have the drug? Because the, the PBM or the pharmacy won't give it to us because we owe $3,000. And we're like, what? You know, something that we work with the patients to make sure that every single patient that comes in to get an oral drug, they get it and they get it immediately. And we just keep getting hit with these things all the time. And it's a shame. And it's a lot of talking, a lot of introduction, but I just wanted to get that off my chest because it bothers me. And I know it bothers Scott because Scott and I have been to lunch and we both go off on some massive tangents of we just, he just elevates me because he starts talking about the problems you all have and your independent pharmacies. A great example of that is DIR fees. You all get really frustrated because you dispense a lot of drugs at low cost and get hit with a percentage, which I can completely relate to. If you dispense a drug for $10 and your DIR fee is $3, that, that's a huge amount on, on that one drug. And it's like, you know, we would be happy to get hit with $3 DIR fees all the time. Like, yeah, give us $10 DIR fees on everything because what you're doing is you're taking a $5,000 drug and you're charging us $250 on that same drug. So you, you hit the independent pharmacies with flat dollar amounts, which kill them. You hit us with percentages, five and up to 11% on some of these plans, ESI, Optimar X, you know, these, the, the, they keep coming out with new types of DIR fees and it is a huge amount. And what makes it worse is you and we do not know, it's not adjudicated up front. So you don't look and you, you don't look at your claim and say, oh, hey, we're going to lose money on this drug, you know, right up front. No, you get the bill six months later and they take all that money away from you on these direct and indirect remuneration fees. And it's frustrating because you have no choice in the negotiations on the contracts. It's not like you can say, oh, for us, oh, CVS, no, we're not going to do that contract. You have to take away the DIR fees that are disguised in these quality metrics that have nothing to do with our drugs. You're disguising them to quality metrics. If you're going to do quality metrics, why aren't you going to do quality metrics that apply to us? And they give us the ability, like a, a bill that we have in Congress that we're trying to do, why don't you give us the ability to earn money if we're good pharmacies doing the right thing and keeping patients on adherence and then take away money from those that don't and then show us how we can be better so that we can earn it. Why not do the same thing with independent pharmacies? You know, why is it that all these fees get disguised? 
you know, into, into uh, terms that get hidden behind uh, quality metrics and are adjudicated three to six months later. And we have no ability to negotiate the contract. We have no ability to negotiate the terms of the payments we're receiving on the drugs. And yet Medicare says the terms are supposed to be reasonable and relevant. And that drives me nuts because reasonable and relevant to CMS means not just taking what you get for the drug minus the drug cost minus the DIR fees, which most people can't individually attach back to that claim. It's so difficult to do. It's another disguise feature to hide things. And, but you're supposed to take your overhead. There's a cost to Scott as a pharmacist and every single pharmacist in all our clinics. And there's a cost of overhead. Every script has some form of overhead attached to it. And you're supposed to attach that to it. And then CMS says, you should make a little profit I mean, it's not supposed to be you lose money or break even because how's a pharmacy supposed to stay in business? And yet most pharmacies lose money where DIR fees are involved. It is so difficult to disassociate when you get a report from CVS that just says, we just got hit with $125,000 of DIR fees. There's nothing that says out of that $125,000, here's this line item you adjudicated now take this amount and attach it to this claim so that you can see it. Because if we're able to see it, then we can go back to CMS and say, this isn't reasonable and relevant the same way that you all can't do the same thing. So it totally burns me up. And I'll say one more thing while I'm on this because it's about hidden costs. Because this just drives me as a CPA. So I love the fact that I'm so blessed to work in oncology. It is such a great job. I'm a cancer patient myself now. I have prostate cancer. My mom died of uh, breast cancer last year. And I'm gonna jump down a rabbit hole on this because this is such a great patient story, but it's sad. So we're treating my mom with Ibrance, and then she does very well on it. But there's, she was stage four breast cancer. It was no longer effective. We were changing them over to Picray. We were dispensing her drugs. So this is very personally. We were dispensing her drugs out of our clinic. No issues. All of a sudden we get to pick Ray. They say, the PBM says, you're no longer allowed to dispense this drug. We had it. We could have given it to her the next day. She waited six weeks, went through four pharmacies. And that's with us trying to help her. That's with me in charge of COPA with all this inside information on how things are working. It took us six weeks. It was so frustrating. And my mom wrote a story about it. It's so touching. I'm not going to uh, walk through that. She wrote a paper back on it because I asked her to so I could share it with Congress, uh, my own members, because it was so telling. But she waited six weeks. She died five months later. She was switched to another drug, Affinitor. She had the same issues getting the drug. We were doing all the right things to try to give the specialty pharmacy the information and it got bounced around to multiple specialty pharmacies. And one of, the, one of the things that she talked about is what happened because I lost six weeks? Did the cancer take a break while it waited for the drug? No, it kept spreading in my body. And how many weekends and holidays did I miss with my husband and my family because I was unable to get my life-saving drug to help extend my life? and no one will ever know, and no one ever sees 
the problems with the delays that are caused when you at an independent pharmacy can't fill a claim. We can't fill a claim because they're forced to have to go elsewhere. So that was a tangent, but it was very personal to me. But I understand walking through my mom's life. I understand being a cancer patient myself, how these things work. So let me jump back over to the other thing I was going to say. What frustrates me is PBMs try their very best. They try to say, oh, our pharmacies that we own make the same thing. They're hit with the DIR fees. They're treated the same way as all pharmacies. Well, we, we already know that's a lie because of reports that uh, three access advisors did in New York, the big report that came out of Ohio around Medicaid because this is public information, the report that came out of Florida showing differentiation between some of the chain chains like CVS, their profit margins versus physician clinics and independent pharmacies and Walmart, Kroger. It had all these different people listed and it was interesting. So you say everybody's treated the same way, yet the profit margins were better under their pharmacy owned, I mean, their PBM owned pharmacies. So that's one thing that completely discredits them and that's out there in public. But the other thing is that's quite frustrating is DIR fees are not something, if you read the reports as a CPA, if I, you can pull up a public company, CVS is a public company, and you can pull up their financial statements the last ones that were out, 2020, you can go in there and you can see that their uh, revenues increased $11.9 billion from 2019 to 20. Easily, you can see that. But their one-line items, products, services, net investment income, there's no breakdown of DIR fees. There's nothing that allows you in the footnotes the things that are required by the SEC and reporting purposes, they are required to report information to the public. But they do things in such a way they consolidate income lines, they consolidate their expense lines, and their footnotes do not, they're, they're supposed to explain things so they will define what some things mean. But in nowhere is there any transparency about what is taking place with their Medicare business and around the DIR fees. Also, PBMs, because I will never, I won't say that PBMs lie about things, meaning if they say, oh, we charge DIR fees to our own pharmacies, that's a true statement. Oh, we're losing money. That is not necessarily true because in their financial statements, you can actually see their pharmaceutical when you get to the breakdowns of their pharmaceutical and they have an area specifically for all their storefronts. And they have their minute clinics, the CVS minute clinics, and they do break some of that down. So they're not losing money on it, but let's just assume that, oh, they have some hardships because of DIR fees as well. What bothers us is they're a controlled group. What is a controlled group? Caremark owns CVS storefront properties they also own CVS specialty retail pharmacies. They also own CVS minute clinics. They own all these entities. So I can all day long as a CPA, you want me to come up with stories that make it in a control group so that you don't lie? 
I can create a loss in a entity that I own so that I can make claims publicly that that entity loses money and, and, and do it because I charge fees to that entity that I own, management fees, whatever I want to call it. I can do whatever I want. And that money comes back and it moves from one pocket to another pocket. But in the end, the same company owns everything. So you can make claims about specific entities within a control group. But what I always try to focus on is let's look at the, the mother company with everything consolidated in one company. And when I see that you've made 12 billion more, and then I see that your net income after all losses, after all taxes is $7.1 billion in 2020. And we cannot get, we cannot get any kind of, you know, transparency. Our attorneys with Friar Levitt, who do a lot of work on helping us to allow patients to get care where they're supposed to legally, our legislative team, everything we do to try to go to CVS, to go to Express Scripts, to go to Optum, to try to get transparency, to, to see these DIR fees and how they're buried and all the money they're making. Show us where it's lowering patient premiums because that's what the, the claim is. Yet there's no reports out there. There's You go to CMS, and you read anything that they have, there's nothing that specifically comes and ties anything out that says, we made $2 billion on DIR fees and we lowered premiums by $2, million, $2 billion for the patients, which is what CMS has wised up to. And they've created this new DIR reform bill <coughs> that we're going to be putting out a, a comment letter on because it is starting the to address the issue of these things need to be adjudicated up front. We like that. We like the fact that that's going to help the patient. There's a lot of other issues with that bill that we need to address because we know that the PBMs will have loopholes to be able to do other things to go after your independent pharmacies and our clinics to play with the moving of the money because all they have to do is say, oh yeah, we'll go along with this and patient payments will come down. It'll be adjudicated up front. But because we can't negotiate contracts, they'll just say, oh, we're going to lower reimbursement to you, up it to our own pharmacies, or, or create a rebate system, or create an administrative fee system, because they're allowed to under the DIR fee system. And we will charge fees back to the practices or back to the independent pharmacies. We'll charge less fees to the ones that we own. You know, it's all one and the same. It's all moving up the same chain. So they have the ability to do this. But the bottom line is when you look at consolidated financials and you see the numbers, it infuriates me because here we are losing money on scripts. And this is just small sector, or it's a large sector of it. I mean, our patient base is usually around 45% Medicare. We lose a lot of money on claims that have DIR fees, especially when they're around quality metrics that have nothing to do with us. And you're still penalizing us by charging a fee on, a, a fee on this for us. So that wasn't even an introduction. That was just, I'm just spewing my feelings because <laughs> I'm very frustrated about a lot of things. And this is one area because we're very focused right now on DIR fees and how that impacts all our clinics and how unfair this is and how there's no transparency in the system and how we need that. And we need Congress or CMS to come back 
and to be specific on that the fact that what they say about reasonable relevance comes out in in further guidance from them. And I think that a lot of people are going to feel a catharsis just from listening to everything you just said. I know I did because that world that you just described, including that heartbreaking story about your mom, uh, so many of us have been through that. Myself as a patient, uh, the pharmacies that are members of PUT, that the oncologists that you know we've come to know since we've gotten uh, to meet you and Dr. Diaz and some of the you know just phenomenal people that work with the Community Oncology Alliance. It, it, it's frustrating, you know. And and what I love about everything you just said is that it it just captures not just the details of what we're dealing with, but the frustration behind it. You know, right. when I go to uh, talk with people, I, I'm always talking with uh, decision makers in, in any capacity, decision makers at the employer level, decision makers at the state level, um, trying to get across in a manner that is quick and concise, you know, what the problem is. It just never seems to work. It's like, you need that, that time to be able to just say, you know, what's been going on. And, and, you know, we appreciate you appreciate the work that, that you guys have been doing uh, right alongside us. And, and you're right. It's, it's, it takes all of us, the urologists, the rheumatologists, uh, Scott and I have had some conversations too, right? So Scott, right. I'm sure you probably, you know, have a few things to say also about just many of the things that, that he just shared. Oh, I just, I think that, it, that a lot of it, and Ricky touched on it here along with the frustration, because I mean, that he's, He's speaking for every single one of us when when he he describes this. But you know, the big factor is loss. We talk to a lot of people who say that the game that we play with legislators shouldn't be about the complaint. It should be about the patients. Well, to me, it's the same thing. So you know, to to say that you know we need to go to legislators and say, hey, you know, this is affecting my patients. This is how it's affecting them. It's the same as me complaining about my business, which is to serve the community. And when I'm gone and when and, and, um, Ricky's group is gone, you know, the things that they've documented so well on YouTube and the stories that they've done are going to just explode even further because they're not going to be there to be able to serve the patients in the capacity. You know, every one of us knows that, that you know, delay in care even though it's not considered a, a, a direct misfill or so, but it, you know, in pharmacy school, and I've said this before, that is a misfill. When you delay care, you are keeping medication appropriate to keep a patient alive in their case from the patient. And the fact that it takes six weeks because of a bureaucratic process by a non-bureaucratic entity that has the powers of that bureaucracy, it makes no sense. So, Complain away. I, I don't like this argument about just making it about the patients because when I complain about what how it affects me or when Ricky complains about how it affects his organization, it absolutely affects the patients. Yep. And, and I will say, you know, I'm really thankful that our congressmen and senators, not just on the national level, but on the state level, because of the work that we've been doing and the patient stories and just everyone speaking up where they're finally starting to understand some of these issues, which is why I think that uh, we, we even see this, th these new regulations around DIR fees, these new comments coming out. I, I think that all of that is great, but what 
what I'm afraid of is, you know, that the PBMs have a lot of money and they are doing so much to distort the story of falsely saying that it's all about patient care. And yet those things that are truly patient care, which a measure of that is adherence and, and time to fill and these things that we do personally are not being done in the box stores, the box pharmacies. What happens in your pharmacies, the independent pharmacies, what happens in the independent oncology clinics and the urology clinics and rheumatology is there's personal care because we're treating them every day. They're coming in and we're already providing all their other drugs. Then all of a sudden we're unable to treat them with their oral drugs. You know, I mean, it's, it's absurd. And, and, and what's even more absurd is it becomes money to the PBMs in the sense you will not see CVS or any box store ever release a drug without you paying for whatever you're responsible for. You know, they may give you some forms, tell you there's some foundations that might exist, and you have to do a lot of the work. And a lot of patients then don't get it because we see it every day. But in our clinics, we dispense the drugs even if you don't have the money. We work with the patient personally because we understand that that patient is going to die. And this is a timely issue. And a lot of times an oral drug is working in combination with IV drugs that were given at the same time. So you have to time the drugs right. And we can't afford to miss something because we have to wait and figure out where are they going to come up with the, the amount in the donut hole. I mean, that's, that's what makes us special. So when the PBMs are trying to say they're doing all these things and they push along and, and it causes clinics, clinic pharmacies to close down, the independent pharmacies to close down, and the consolidation continues to grow and it's not 80%, it's not 85 and 90 and 95, then we, we essentially create monopolies and they can do whatever they want. And unfortunately, the patient and the end is going to be the big loser, not just from a, the financial impact, not just from a health impact, because they're not going to get the drugs the same way that they do now. They're not going to get them in the same order, but they're not going to have the same home feel when they walk into an independent pharmacy who's mom and pop forever and ever, and they get that feel from, oh, hey, Jim behind the counter. Hey, Scott, I've been working with you for years. You know, that, that feel in our clinic, you know, hi, doc, hi, nurse practitioner, hi, whoever the pharmacist or pharmacy tech is in our clinic. There is a personal relationship that exists and little, you know, we see this, especially in the oncology clinic. Patients that are loved on, that have family around them, supporting them through their care, when we're loving on them and surrounding them, they tend to do better. Forget about the outcomes of the drugs. That's great. It tends to push them to do even better because it lifts their spirits and other things completely unrelated to the actual, you know, scientific I, components. I can of imagine everything else. I can imagine that just the opposite happens too when when you throw up all of these these boundaries and 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 access walls that a patient might actually you know be adversely affected. Um, you know, and, and go down faster than they would if they didn't have to deal with all of that kind of stuff that the PBMs put in front of them. Correct. 
Correct. You know, I, I said in another capacity, I uh, participate with a pharmacy, an independent pharmacy group here in Arizona, and was recently in a stakeholder meeting with uh, lobbyists for PBMs and health insurers. And we're at this time working on a bill that would eliminate deceptive forms of patient steering and, and, and also the type of patient steering that happens in organizations like yours, where a patient has right. had continuous care and then they're now told that they can no longer get this, uh, their, their medication infusion from their oncologist. They have to go to a, a PBM's specialty pharmacy or infusion pharmacy for that. I was interested that uh, one of the lobbyists for the opposition made a comment about, you know, uh, that this was a revenue, a, a revenue generator or a profit center for the, the hospital that was, you know, there talking about the need to stop this type of patient steering and the kind of shame that that person was trying to inflict on the hospital. And it was a, it was a fascinating experience given, you know, the enormous number of dollars that PBMs generate for themselves by doing the kind of patient steering to do, it was, it was frustrating, you know, and, and I, I was fascinated by that uh, because all this time it became, it's, it really is about the patient and about the patient's ability to get the kind of care and treatment that they need. And it seems like whenever there's an opportunity to make it about dollars, you'll always see the opposition who ironically is making the most money of anybody right. in the system, right? Throwing it on, the providers as if somehow the providers are responsible for this. Like they've, you know, they've made it about themselves and how much money can they make? And so I imagine you guys probably deal with that too, right? Well, yeah. I mean, anybody is going to try to point out anything to deflect off of their own issues. And this, you know, I'm not going to speak on behalf of a hospital because hospitals have things like 340B drug pricing that you all can't get, we this can't true. get. Yeah. There are issues like that that do exist, but I do know from a community oncology practice setting, it's so crazy that the person saying that it's all about the money is saying that somehow that there's a lot of money in it. You're the one that was generating it from the highest level of the PBM. And if you own the insurer, you're getting a piece of it. And then you're getting rebates because you strong arm the manufacturers into re forcing rebates back to you, or you're going to tier their drug or not tier it at all. We're not even going to put it on uh, as an allowed drug, or we're going to make it a, a, a tier four drug. It's going to be the last one. And, and we know this comes factually. Um, that that this exists, uh, but you know, pharma companies have to be really private about that. It's 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 a shame, but they're the ones that are then pulling it out of the clinic, where the where it's best for the patient, and then they're moving it over to their own pharmacy and creating more revenue. If it really is, uh, you know, all this money, aren't you really saying, oh, they're making all this money? We want to make it all. Because essentially, isn't that what you just said? If you're if you're moving it over to you, you are already making all the rebates, doing all this, uh, having all these other levels of revenue and DIR fees, and, and other things that are all hidden. And well, they're hidden in a 7.1 billion dollar net income in 2022 just for CVS. So I'm like, this is insane. And you brought up one other point that I will say about trolling. Because there's the one where it says just they're just outright. We go to adjudicate the claim. A lot of times they'll let us fill a first script. You know why? All the work is involved in a first script. 
all this having to deal with getting the, the you know the the patient approved and all that so we do all the work we still do all the work along the way because the patient calls us to help them to get it all done with these other pharmacies we can't do all of the work when it comes to their payment because they they've now taken over part of that but we still do a lot of that work but what really is e even just incredible so so a lot of times we'll fill a first script a lot of times you can't fill any and then once you get past the first script, what's really interesting is we'll go to fill a script. We'll have it ready. We'll have it sitting there. The patient doesn't come by to pick it up. And we're like, you know, we've called the patient. And then the patient says, oh, I already have it. Well, no, we have it sitting right here. No, we, I, we got a call from the pharmacy and I answered a bunch of questions and they sent it to us. So the PBM talks to the pharmacy, which we believe is a HIPAA violation by law, because there was no relationship between that pharmacy and that patient. And then the PBM or insurer called the pharmacy and says, hey, call this patient, they're on this drug. And then they call, and then the patient innocently thinks it's something that we're doing. Like somehow we were involved in it and called trolling. And then they send the drug, and then we had already bought it, it's sitting on the counter, ready to ready for the patient to pick up and then we're like oh that wasn't us and then we called the the pharmacy that filled it and we said how did you get this you know how did you get this and then a lot of times they'll say oh so and so called it up this insurer or the pbm and we're like this is illegal and that is like dirty too like that you're is so deceptive. The patients and that happens to us i don't know if that's really a uh, uh, issue that you all have, but that's a big issue. We, we've heard those stories. We've heard we've heard those stories, but I've never heard on. Uh, I've never heard it happening in in a situation like this. I mean, where did they get the order? Did they trick one of the offices into sending it to them? No, it doesn't. It comes straight from the insurer or the PBM because they've already adjudicated well, a claim with us, so they already know well, what see, I it get is. That. I, they I guess, it. I guess so what I'm asking is, is, you know, in order for them to send it to the patient, they still have to get an order from the physician. Are you saying that they literally just take the information from the adjudication and use that? I mean, how are they getting, how are they getting their official fill? Yeah, they either do it by using the first fill information from the physician's office, or they call the patient and get the patient to give them permission. So, but you know, at some point, so they contact saying, the patient, and the patient gives them permission to move forward. But so, so I guess what I'm asking is, is that do you believe that they're literally filling prescriptions like this without having a physician's order? I would say yes and no, because we're not. If if they were calling us asking us for the order, we wouldn't be sending it to them. That does happen sometimes. Sometimes a pharmacy. I, that's how we I find agree. Out about that's, they call us. Other times we find yeah. out by the patient, and we're like, we didn't send you the order. And then that's where it comes. That's what I'm so, so they, so how in the world are they legally filling an order for a, 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 a drug like this? It's obviously without ever getting the doctor who prescribed it to send them the order for them to legally fill it. That's so. I mean, that is so illegal from a, a board of pharmacy standpoint that, so, I mean, that's insurance fraud, that's, you know, obviously illegal from a, uh, a dispensing standpoint, you have to have a valid 
Right. A physician's order to dispense correct. anything. That's correct. Well, and it gives it gives uh, gives us all pause to to ask the question, what about the firewall? Because how many of us have been in meetings where we hear the opposition saying, oh, but there's a firewall. We protect that information. Our pharmacies are separate from our benefits division. We guard that carefully. And yet the stories come in all the time of, you know, a, a person who has their prescription suddenly routed to another pharmacy. I, I'm actually thinking of a pharmacist I know in, in Long Island who has an infusion pharmacy and one of his patients was at the doctor and he's the patient watched his physician or the nurse uh, put in the name of this pharmacist's pharmacy to get his prescription filled at. And then that patient who worked for the pharmacist got a call from CVS that his prescription was ready. And he was like, how did that even happen? You know, so, so we right. hear about these stories a lot and, and, and a frustration I know we have here at PUD, and I'm, I'm sure you've probably seen this too, Ricky, is the, these oops, we goofed moments that come up. Patients don't know the difference. So for every patient who calls their pharmacy and says, hey, I've got this letter saying you're out of network and I have to go to this other pharmacy. And then the pharmacist says, that's not true. I am a network. And we hear this every year at the beginning of the year, we get a lot of stories like this. The pharmacist says, I, I am a network. And the patient goes, okay, good. I'll continue going there. There's easily a dozen who don't know to call and they think, okay, well, I guess I need to go to this other pharmacy. And then when they get easily. in trouble, what happens is the PBM gets this fine of, you know, a million, million and a half, whatever, you know, would be the fee for an oops, we goofed letter. But by the end of the day, they've more than made that up right. in, in revenues. So right. it's frustrating. And it, it does call to mind. Frustrating. I mean, they, they, they manage their risk well because they figure what's the worst that can happen. And if the fine, I mean, if they look at it, because they do think that they're doing a lot of legal things and we keep throwing law back at them. HIPAA is the big one. You claim that, you, like you said, that there's a firewall, and yet we have many examples, which is why we have up on our website, you know, tools that Friar Levitt has created that help to turn them in as a, for a HIPAA violation, to turn them into the State Board of Pharmacy. But the problem that we have, and this is a really good action point, and, and why I like PUT so much as well, we know everyone is busy. All of us every day are doing our full-time job. When something like this comes up, it still takes time to get the letter, fill it out, and submit it. Every single HIPAA violation has to be reviewed. Board of Pharmacy complaints have to be reviewed. And a Board of Medicine, in our case, that's another place that we can submit something. So we have to understand, look, we, at you as an organization, we, in COA as an organization, put up a lot of tools. We put a lot of money up to provide guidance and help for patients and for practices to be able to know how to communicate to the appropriate bodies that police these things and say, here's what took place. But what happens is a lot of people say that they have the problems, but then there's not a lot of follow-up. And that's, I, I tell people all the time, I said, if everybody took you know, we have multiple complaints a week by our patient. We have multiple problems in our clinics that we see. I mean, crazy things, even changing a dose on a script. How can you change a dose? You're a pharmacy. How, how is that even legal? 
How did you switch a drug out? Not, not a generic versus a brand. How did you switch from a drug in a class to another drug in a class when a doctor said to use this? I mean, to us, you know, that's all like illegal stuff. Like the doctor is the doctor, you're the pharmacist. So that stuff like that doesn't make sense. If everybody committed to investing two or three hours and pushing that stuff up to the state boards of pharmacy, to the state boards of medicine, to Congress and, our, and everyone that we help to tell them where good places are to send these stories, there would be action because I wouldn't wanna be sitting on the other end and hearing about all these patients' stories. And my mom is one, that happens all the time in oncology. You take all those stories, if they are going up to the appropriate authorities, then it's like, wait a minute, if all this stuff is happening so great, Mr. PBM, then why are all these things happen? How did they get that information? How did the pharmacy, when there was no script, the patient never went to that box, uh, uh, CVS specialty on the corner and give you the script. And, and yet all of a sudden they know all about how you're being treated. And they're calling you up saying, hey, we, I think Scott, a lot of what happens is, hey, we can fill your next script of that. You know, that's what happens. And they're like, we've got it right here. And they're, they make it like they're us, but they're not. The patient, you know, our patients who are typically are older, they don't a lot of times identify that things like this happen, that there's a lot of insidious things that happen. So it takes a lot of action. And if we only have, if you and I, Scott, were the only two people screaming and crying and upset, and we can see the facts, nothing would ever get done. So it takes all of us speaking on behalf of our patients, getting them involved. And that does take time out of our daily jobs that none of us have to devote to it. But in order to accomplish action, to move battleships, because they are huge battleships that take a lot to turn them in the appropriate direction, we have to do a lot to help make that happen. And that takes everyone being involved. This would be a good time to turn the conversation. So we're, we're moving to that point now where we're coming to the, the end of our time together. But you mentioned getting patients involved. And I'd love to know about how COA does that. How do you get your patients involved? And, and you know what advice do you have for anyone out there, any organizations or any pharmacists or any physicians, clinics, anyone in the same situation that we are all in here, how do we get our people involved? Well, the easiest first thing is when you know a patient has a problem, then you ask them, you either sit with them. A lot of times we will sit, we even have uh, people in our organization that will call up and will document everything so that it makes it not difficult for the patient to have to write down everything. Because a lot of times that's, if, they, if they're like, if I have to write it all down, that's too much. Some of our younger people, we've had school teachers and other people in the past who have like, I will definitely write all this down. I want this out there. I'm infuriated that I couldn't get my Herceptin, that they weren't, you know, whatever the drug was. And there will be people that will take the bull by the horns. They'll go in the media front when we ask them to present to for media stories. A lot of people won't go into media. So we say, let us document your story. And then we can take your name out. We can put another name in there. And, and then that way, the first thing is by providing us the stories, if we're dealing with something in Virginia law that we're trying to get pushed through, 
white bagging issues and uh, you know it could be anything that because uh, it's not going to be dir fees on the on the state front but whatever the issue is trolling then we can talk about stories that are relevant to them when we go to congress and we're dealing with our own congress congressmen and women and the senators that are involved in our area we have stories most important thing we tell everyone all about the patient first all of this impacts the patient negatively Unfortunately, you all see it and we see it. And then we have a lot of people that are told a lot of other things because they have a lot of money in the media and can do commercials and all these other things that make it sound like there's good care when really we see the difference. So the first one is the patient story. The second one is utilizing the tools that your organization and our organization puts up on the website for specific areas. Trolling is one. We have free tools that give you the guidance to fill in the information and put the stories in to go to those bodies that police, like the Board of Pharmacy, if we believe that somebody is violating something, you know, like a HIPAA violation, it's gonna to go to the Board of Pharmacy, it's also gonna go up to the governing body that uh, governs HIPAA, and we have the form. So we try to provide those. We have a couple of letters around um, star ratings for patients, when, when we are forced to not be able to fill scripts for Medicare patients, they are very concerned. PBMs are super concerned about their star rating because they get kicked out of the program if they have a bad star rating. So we say we have a very simple letter that allows the patient to talk about delays in getting their drug, rude customer service on the phone, whatever the issues are. You know, when we can't fill it, you know, we wanted to get it here. We were forced to get it here. We were three weeks delayed in getting it. We could have gotten it the next day at our clinic. We, we had to wait three weeks. And the people on the phone were so rude. They didn't help us with blah, blah, blah. And it, it's a very, very simple letter. Those letters all get submitted to CMS. And all of those go into impacting the star rating for that PBM. So you want to see a, a PBM change action, you have a lot of patients submit their grievances when they are having delays and other issues. And there are a lot of different issues that, that patients do have with other carriers that submit their, uh, that dispenser drugs. So, so that is a big thing. And then the practices and the pharmacies themselves submitting the letters on behalf of their experience, because it's not just the patient experience. It's the hours that the pharmacist had to be on the phone helping the patient to get the script filled somewhere else and filling out a lot of paperwork on their behalf because the patients don't know how to do it. And we, the independent pharmacies and the, and the pharmacists in the clinics and pharmacy techs spend all this time in our nurses, our, our nurse practitioners and the physicians, you won't believe the hours spent on the phone filling these out. It's documenting the stories. I had the, the oncologist in my clinic write her story about my mom and the, and all the hours that she had to spend. And she had, she was very scientific. It was very detailed. Had this call then, this is how long it was. And hers was very detailed describing all the trouble she went through, not counting the work of, by my pharmacy tech. So does it take time? Yes. We in COA will help you do that. You don't want to spend the time to do it. You have a good story. You can summarize it. You can send it to us because we catalog all these. 
and we will reach out to you with our sources that can call you up and basically write the story, filling in all the details. So it's less work for you. We're trying to take the work out of it, but we can't do all of it. You have to do some of it. We can bring you to the trough with all the water in it. You have to lean over and drink from it and take the time to utilize the tools that we're doing. When we come out with the comment letter, we're going to come out with an action plan around this, this, uh, this DIR fee reform language that's come out. A lot is great about it. The fact that we do want this to help the patients, we do want it adjudicated up front, but there's a lot of issues that are going to create a lot of loopholes that are gonna hurt the independent community pharmacies and that are gonna hurt the independent pharmacies and independent uh, you know, oncology, urology and other clinics. So we're gonna give a skeleton of all the things that we see that are wrong, but we're gonna ask pharmacists to write comments utilizing the arguments that they see are right, but to personalize it so that we can have an impact and let CMS know these are the concerns. We are very happy about these things. Here's the concerns we have, not just copy and paste, but to make it personal. Read what we've written and then put it in your own words. So these are some big action items that are immediate that can happen, that can make a difference because what, we, what we've seen, I'll go back to the very beginning story that I talked about with CVS. When CVS wanted to exclude all physician dispensing pharmacies, not the retail pharmacies in our clinic, but we have 75% of our pharmacies, some regulated by state. California can't have a retail pharmacy and a physician office. New York cannot have a retail pharmacy. They're required to have physician dispensing pharmacies. We can have both in Virginia. When they said no physician dispensing pharmacies will be able to dispense drugs to our patients, we were up in arms. We brought the law, we had everyone involved, and we did not have to go to court. We almost went to court. We had everybody on board to go to court and make it a fight uh, you know, uh, with the any willing provider laws behind us. And then CVS backed down. Why? Because there were numbers. People were standing up for what was right. What you're standing up for as an organization, what we're standing up for is right because we do it for the right reason. It's for our patients, for the clinics, in giving the proper care. And that, that will win always in the end if we get everyone speaking up. Really, really well said. I, I've been taking notes as you've been talking on some of the actions that you take. It, it really brings us full circle to where we started, You know, talking about actions because it's one thing to complain. It's another thing to even speak up and and present evidence of the situation at hand, but it's only, I, I believe, and I know you do, and all of us here at Putt do, that it's that moment when you decide you're going to take action and you do, you, you do the work, you put the time right. in, as you say, that things start to change. I'm reminded of a, I think one of our, um, I think he's like the poster child for, for Putt members everywhere. He is in a small town in Illinois, and he and his staff take the time to collect their patients' information and, and to help facilitate them making comments on bills when they come up in Illinois. And, and there was a time not so long ago when he was the kind of person who said, well, there's nothing I can do. I'm just going to fold it in. I'm, you know, this is as good as it's ever going to get. And a day came when, you know, there was a reckoning and he emerged from that fully in action and, and on fire and, and willing to put the time in. And, and I think that is what distinguishes the work that we do and why we're starting to see 
the tide turn a little bit. It, it is a it's a monstrous problem. I mean, just it today is. we're working here at Pet. We're working on a series of um, fun but not funny graphics on some of the biggest insurance companies and how integrated they are. And the one that we're working on now, which is Cigna, they put forward a, an organizational chart of their affiliates. It's eight pages long. Wow. And it just spans everything. Wow. And, you know, and, and when you start confronting the reality of that, you know, people are so afraid that we're going to have a single payer system. You start to look at you're like, guys, we have that. It's just that it's being held by a select few private corporations whose first allegiance is to their shareholders, not to, not to patients, not even to the employers who are right. now starting to be thrown under the bus for this, you know, like, right. oh, we're, we're only doing this to keep costs in check for the employers. But this has been a brilliant conversation, Ricky. You must, must come back. I, I feel like we've only scratched the surface of the many things we could be talking about. But um, as we bring the, the show to a close, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to, to you and to everybody at the Community Oncology Alliance for everything that you're doing. You are a, a model. You've set a bar for the rest of us and, and we appreciate you and we continue to be inspired by you. So just, you know, keep that. up that great work. And for anyone who'd like to know more about Community Oncology Alliance, their website is communityoncology.org. Is that right? Correct. Okay, fantastic. And Scott, anything for you before we close the show today? Nope. I always learn something though when I talk to even people that, I, that I'm real familiar with. So I definitely even learned something today. Yeah, no doubt. Me too. I've got a page of notes. <laughs> My goodness, it's wonderful to and we always to be learn from each other. This. So great resources for one another. Definitely. Well, thank you so much. And to everyone listening, thank you so much for joining us today. If you liked what you heard or you have comments for us, please leave them for us. We love getting feedback from our listeners. Uh, until then, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time on the podcast.